meeting has been a genuine joy. And of course, I expected it too. We've been here before, treated royally. Good to be back with Brother Ronnie and his good wife. And there are some drawbacks to it, of course. Uh, I like to be somewhat the best looking one in the group, but I remember we were standing in a restaurant last night, and a lady came up and hugged him and kissed him. Didn't say a thing to me. It is amazing, you know. I just dislike being in a meeting with a fellow better looking than I am, but it has been a joy to be associated with them again, and you have all kinds of talent in song direction, and you have participated in fine fashion. And you ladies, whoo, you're still on the cutting edge of the culinary arts. I appreciate so much the way you've taken care of us while we were here. It's been a joy. Sunday through Wednesday passes in a hurry, doesn't it? Gets away from us. Now, I told Brother Ron last night that probably I would practice on you folks tonight. I have a lecture coming up this Saturday in Chattanooga. And the assigned subject Woman's role in the church as defined by Scripture. But I've looked at that all day, and I've thought about it, and I've outlined it, and it doesn't suit me yet. And so <clears throat> I've changed my mind. I'm going to talk about something else. There was a certain rich man, clothed in purple and fine linen, faring sumptuously every day. And a certain beggar named Lazarus laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Yea, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, I pray thee, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime hadst thy good things, and in like manner Lazarus evil things, but now here he is comforted, and thou art in anguish. And besides all this, there is a great gulf fixed between us, that none may cross over from thence to us, nor may any pass from hence to you. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him back to my father's house. I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one go to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one should rise from the dead. Now you're familiar with that. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Have you ever wondered about the dead? I mean, where they are? Uh, what is their lot? What are the circumstances uh, surrounding them? That's our theme for the evening. Where are the dead? Now, it may not be all that important. Certainly, it's not of primary importance. If we live for the Lord... He'll take care of us just beyond the dark valley. We don't have to worry about that at all. Yet, this is an intriguing question, and the Bible does address itself to this subject. makes an interesting study, and there's a very good possibility that if you are a regular student of the New Testament, this question has arisen. Where are the dead? What are the circumstances surrounding them? You know, on occasion, you'll quote that passage in Luke 16, 19 through 31, and someone will say, well, that's just a parable. If 
that's meant to be an objection, I fail to see the force of it. A parable either has happened or could happen. That word is from two root words, para, uh, beside, and balo, to cast, and parabalo. The idea in parable is to throw down beside of, the purpose being to point out analogies or likenesses uh, between the two. But personally, I don't believe Luke 16, 19 through 31 is a parable. number of reasons, but we just mentioned one or two. The Lord does not mention specific names in his parables. In the stories uh, with which the people are familiar that he uses to convey spiritual uh, principles. But he did in this one. No, no, Dives means rich man. That's not a proper name. But he named the beggar Lazarus. That's unusual <clears throat> for the Lord's uh, parables. But you know, when I really think about it, <clears throat> if it's a parable, who knew what he was talking about? The parables of the Lord were always very familiar stories. In the minds of his auditors, they understood it perfectly. The sower went forth to sow. Well, they all knew about broadcasting the fitches. What man of you having a hundred sheep, etc., etc.? They knew about the pastoral life. He used stories with which they were very familiar. And from them he would draw spiritual principles. But this is an unusual story indeed. Where are the dead? Well, there's one thing we need to establish before we begin the study of that question. That's the fact that man, you and I, are dual, that is, twofold beings. You remember Genesis 2, verse 7, And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground, and there he lies, perfectly shaped and formed, lifeless. Oh, and uh, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Dual nature. But I suppose the classic example of that would be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Where Paul said, Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for the moment, worketh for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. If for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, through verse 1 of chapter 5. So man is a twofold being, outward physical man, inward spiritual man. And I think we understand that. Death is an interesting thing when you really stop to think about it and give it uh, a little thought and study. Uh, this thing of physical death, what, do, what actually occurs? Well, the Greek term thanatos, <clears throat> translated death, does not signify separation. It simply means the absence of life. Oh, but, but that expression signifies a separation, doesn't it? What was James said? Chapter 2, verse 26, the body without the spirit is dead. No, no, you know where read that the spirit without the body is dead, because it isn't. The reason the body is dead is because the person who lived there moved out. Twofold being. The body without the spirit is dead. Maybe, maybe a definition of life and death would be beneficial to us in this study. <clears throat> Someone said, preacher, <laughs> intelligent men have tried to define life and have been unable to do so. Well, that's because most intelligent men just don't look at the source of truth. It's a very simple process. 
life oh, that's defined as conscious existence in covenant relationship with God. Oh, death is defined as conscious existence out of covenant relationship with God. Someone said, just a minute, preacher. You used conscious existence in both definitions. Why, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no such thing as soul sleeping. No, no. Oh, there's a few outlaw brands of religion today that will tell you that uh, man's like the little dog rover. When he's dead, he's dead all over. It's just over. Uh, there's a Greek term that covers that. If I can pronounce it properly, I believe it's hogwash. That is ridiculous. Friend, the New Testament denies that idea altogether. You see, you and I are made in the image of the likeness of God. We've talked about that a half dozen times already. Say, no, no, God's a spirit. John 4, 24. Spirit doesn't have flesh and blood. Verse 39, Luke 24. So we don't look like God. Well, certainly not. We're immortal spirits. When you put the limitations of the flesh off, there's perfection. You're made in the image and the likeness of God. Do you remember in John chapter 11, Christ is with his disciples? They get word that Lazarus, his friend, uh, Lazarus lived in Bethany, you remember, with his two sisters, Martha and Mary, is ill. He's sick. They abode where they were two days, and Jesus then said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea. Lazarus has fallen asleep. Well, they said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll wake up. The Lord had to tell them plainly he's dead. So they come to the perimeter of the village of Bethany, and Martha hears that Jesus is there. She runs to him. The first thing she said, recorded in verse 21, John chapter 11, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Jesus said, Thy brother shall rise again. She said, Yea, Lord, yeah, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, and listen to it, verses 25 and 26, I am, no, no, not will be. This is present tense. I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth on me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? And Lord, are, are, you, are you telling me that uh, if my faith is strong enough, if, if, that I don't have to die physically? Well, certainly not. Everything dies physically, flora and fauna. It comes, it serves, it goes. That's typical of this old fallen estate. No, that's not what he's saying. Well, what did he mean when he said, And he that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Friends, when we come to grips with who we really are, physical being and the physical, no, 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 that's, uh, that's temporary. Wherefore we faint not. But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. What about the viewpoint? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. What is to be emphasized in this life? The physical? Well, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world, lose your soul. You missed the whole point. No, no. That uh, is not related directly. That's an opportunity to represent Christ. No, no. You will live forever. Uh, that's the goal of man upon the earth, if indeed he's focused uh, properly. Now, when you understand who you are, oh, then physical death is just an entrance into an infinitely better relationship. Never cease to be. Just continue. Keep right on going. And you did he make alive 
when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Well, somebody says, yeah, but preacher, now that's talking about uh, spiritual life and, and spiritual death. Now we're getting close. Beginning to get the idea. You recall that Christ was crucified between two thieves. And you remember they both railed on him. Well, thou not the Son of God, save thyself and us. But obviously, one of those men repented. Because in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 23, this fellow rebukes the other. He said, we receive the due reward of our deeds. This man hath done nothing amiss. And then he said this, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And the greatest words that ever fell on the ears of that thief were heard in the very next breath. Jesus said, verse 43, Luke chapter 23, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Isn't that wonderful? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Uh, yet if you'll advance to John chapter 20, verse 17, you will observe that three days later, Jesus, raised from the dead, appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And he said, Touch me not, that is, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Go tell my disciples, what, what, Lord? He said, touch me not. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Lord, you haven't gone to heaven yet? No. Well, Lord, three days ago, you told that thief, this day, today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Right. Well, did he, did he misrepresent the situation? That brings up another question. What happens to the soul, the immortal spirit, the immortal nature of man at the point of physical death? That's an interesting thing. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 35. You remember that Jacob was on his way from Padan Aram to rejoin his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Traveling is slow with the flocks and herds and the children, etc. And his beloved Rachel goes into labor with her second child. At verse 18 of Genesis chapter 35 says, And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, son of my sorrow. Jacob called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Well, wait, wait, notice the wording. It came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died. Well, that's what happens. At the point of physical death, the life factor leaves the body. Well, uh, what they do with Rachel? Nothing. She's not there. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bible never considers physical death lightly. And God understands human limitations. He knows the love that brings us together. He understands the heartache that suffered when a loved one passes. We know about that. And we know about metonymy also. They buried Rachel on the way to Ephrath, later called Bethlehem, raised up over her tomb a marker, a stone. Sure, we understand that. Buried Rachel, no, no, they uh, actually buried Rachel's body. It is illegal and immoral to bury alive people. You can't do that. Until the person leaves that body, you cannot bury it or dispose of it. Oh, death is what? It's a separation of uh, body and spirit. Isn't that what Peter said about Christ? First Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Uh, being put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. That's it, That's it exactly. 
Being put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. Christ is hanging on the cross. Cried with a loud voice. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. When he dropped his head on a breast that no longer heaved with life and breath, where's Christ? Well, somebody says, there he hangs on the cross. That's his body. Well, sure we understand how we refer to that. Oh, they laid Christ in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And that's correct. That's fine. That's all. But no, no. He's, he's not there. Well, where did he go? Uh, do you recall in Acts chapter 2 that Peter quotes a prophecy by David uh, recorded in the 16th Psalm, verses 8 through 11? And he began that quotation in verse 25 of Acts chapter 2. He said, For David saith concerning him, I beheld the Lord always before my face. He's on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover my flesh also shall dwell in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, neither wilt thou give thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou madest known unto me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of gladness with thy countenance. Through verse 28. In verse 29, Peter takes up his sermon again, brethren. I may say unto you freely of the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us until this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that of the fruit of his loins he would set one upon his throne, he foreseeing this spake of the resurrection of the Christ, listen, that neither was he left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 31. What? Neither was he left in Hades, oh, nor did his flesh see corruption. Where's Christ? Hades. Where's his body? In the rock. In the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, human out of the rock. Death is a separation of body and spirit. Right. Where did Christ go when he died? Hades. Oh, now somebody said, just a minute, preacher. In your text, that's where the rich man went. Why, certainly. Hades, Hado, uh, the realm of the unseen, a receptacle prepared of God for disembodied spirits. And everybody dies. The righteous and the wicked. In our text, came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and uh, was buried and he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Both dead, right? So they both went to Hades, right? Hades has two compartments, for the righteous and the wicked. But, but just a minute. The beggar was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Right, that's a Jewish expression. Abraham's bosom to the Orthodox Jew would be a place of comfort and rest and peace. How would a Greek refer to that? Paradise. Right? Paradise. Oh, well, when did Christ go to paradise? When he dropped that head on his breast. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the spirit. Went to Hades. What compartment? Abraham's bosom to a Jew. Open oh, to a Greek. Paradise. Well, what did he say to that thief? Luke 23, verse 43. Oh, he said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And they both died that day. And they both went to the Hadean realm. That impenitent thief to Tartarus, where the rich man is. But the one to whom the promise was made with Christ in, a, in paradise. A paradise, a garden of delights, a place of contentment, of joy and happiness. Uh, Abraham's bosom would have meant the same thing uh, to a Jew. So then, 
the separation of the body and the spirit. And that immortal spirit goes to the place that God has prepared for it. And that brings up another question. But uh, what answer the body? Well, we noted that, didn't we? Verse 22, Luke chapter 16. The rich man also died and was buried. You have to dispose of the body. It can be cremated. I'm not <clears throat> in favor of that, but it's a choice that a person might make. <clears throat> it can be buried. Lazarus died. He had to be buried, probably in what might have been called Boot Hill a hundred years ago in the Midwest, but uh, maybe a Keldama. The field of blood, purchased with the 30 pieces of silver, paid for the crucifixion of Christ, and they bought this field to bury strangers in. And this man couldn't afford a burial fee, and so uh, somehow or other they did away with his body. We don't know how, well, but that's, uh, that's what happens to the body, isn't it? You recall in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon very graphically and in highly figurative language describes the gradual decline and the ultimate demise of the human frame. And in verse 7 he says, And the dust returneth to the earth as it was, but the Spirit back to God who gave it. Isn't that what verse 7 said, Genesis chapter 2? And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. What happens at physical death? Separation of the two. The body goes back to where it came from. The spirit back to God who gave it. Then the question is raised. <clears throat> now, preacher, excuse my voice, it's not working tonight, but <clears throat> will the body and the spirit ever be reunited? Why, certainly you remember what Jesus said, Matthew 10, verse 28? Fear not him who can destroy the body, and after that hath no more that he can do. But fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Oh, what? Fear him who can destroy both body and soul. Oh, that's, uh, that's something, isn't it? Uh, John chapter 5, 28 and 29. And marvel not at this. For the hour cometh in which all that are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. They that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. Friend, the only thing in the tomb is the body. It's illegal and immoral to bury alive people. You can only bury dead bodies. You mean those dead bodies are going to come out of the tomb? Why, certainly. And he must reign till all his enemies have been placed under his feet. And the last enemy to be abolished is death. When will death be abolished? When there's nobody dead. When will that be? At the resurrection, which will occur at the last day. Every person who's ever lived from Adam until the end of time come forth out of that tomb. There's no question about that. You know, the brethren in Thessalonica, Paul had taught them the truth. They had responded favorably in obedience to the fundamental first principles of the gospel. And they were told to wait in faith and patience for the coming of the Lord. But the Lord hasn't come. And, and, and some of their loved ones are deceased. You can almost hear the question they ask Paul by the answer that he gives. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. He said, We would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that fall asleep that you sorrow not, even as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also that are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him when he comes. 
Now this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we that are alive, that are left unto the coming of the Lord, shall in no wise precede them that are fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's not first before the dead out of Christ. They'll rise at the same time. John 5, 28 and 29. Wicked and the righteous come forth at the same time. What is Paul contrasting? The dead in Christ shall rise first before the living in Christ are changed. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we that are alive, that are left unto the coming of the Lord, shall together with this dominion. Paul, something's got to happen. Yeah, you explained it to us. Now this I say, brethren. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We all shall not sleep. Oh, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible must put on incorruption. But when this mortal shall have put on immortality, this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 50 through 57, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we that are alive that are left unto the coming of the Lord, undergoing exactly the same change that you and I will undergo when we die physically. He that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. You see, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. So when the Lord comes, those in flesh and blood don't just walk into the it got to be changed. You're a spirit being. Just like those who died were changed. The spirit left the body. The body was buried. It'll come forth. Oh, we together with them shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And in verse 18, he said, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the only source of comfort. Sad. Wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that fall asleep, those who pass, who die. Oh, no. Oh, as the rest who have no hope. That's a terrible thing. Go out of this world without cleansing in the blood of Christ, no hope at all. I can understand the misery of those who abide, knowing their loved ones are eternally lost. But Paul is writing to Christians. He's talking to those of us who have obeyed the fundamental principles of the gospel, have been cleansed in the blood of Christ that you sorrow not, even as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also that are asleep in Jesus, watch it, will the Lord bring with him when he comes. Right? Listen to him. Them also that are asleep in Jesus. You've walked through a cemetery many times, haven't you? I have. It's rather interesting to me. And how many epitaphs have I seen asleep in Jesus? And I trust and hope that it's true. Asleep in Jesus. Paul is referring to Christians. What did he say? Those who sleep in Jesus. What's sleeping? The body. It's the only thing in the tomb. Those that sleep in Jesus, watch it, will the Lord bring with him when he comes. But, but they're in the tomb. No, no, the body's in the tomb. They're with the Lord. 
Oh, then the body will come forth, the Lord will bring, they will be reunited, body and spirit reunited. Why, certainly. That's what it's all about. To say, no question about that. Well, someone says, now, preacher, that body is going to be raised from the air, sir. <clears throat> well, well, what will it look like? What would it, eh, Paul said, that's a rather foolish question. <clears throat> but uh, I'm going to let him answer it anyway. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what manner of body do they come? Thou foolish one, that which thou thyself sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but a bare grain, may chance of wheat or of some other. But God giveth it a body, even as it pleased him, and to each seed a body of its own. Just drive a pig right there. What did you say, Paul? You're familiar with agriculture. And let's suppose you're farming. Fix your land, maybe subsoil it last fall. You got that stuff cut to a powder. You've poisoned, you've fertilized, you're ready to plant. Let's say you're going to have a row of corn. Or put in corn. Good. Drill that stuff in. Give it about a week and a half if the weather is just right. Go out and I don't know, look across the furrow. You won't see anything. Go down to the end of the row. My long and straight as a gun barrel, and man, not a skip. I mean a stand from one end to the other, that little old green shoot boy about every eight or ten inches sticking right. Question, does that little green shoot sticking out of the ground <clears throat> look like what you planted in the ground? No, but it is, isn't it? Why, certainly there'd be no future to agriculture. Oh, but God giveth it a body, even as it please him, and to each seed a body of its own. And he continued, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one flesh of men, still another flesh of fish, another of birds, another of beasts. Oh, he said, and there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. Oh, but the glory of the celestial is one. And the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun. There's still another glory of the moon. Still another glory of the stars. And one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection from the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Did you notice the pronoun? It. The same it that's sown is the it that's raised. You're going to put this thing in a tomb. It's going to come out one day. What would it look like? If you'd never seen corn growing, could you identify the seed? Think about it. God giveth it a body even as it pleased him. Now you know sometimes when you talk about this, People get the idea that, well, uh, if we're going to come out of that tomb a spiritual body, we, of course, won't resemble the old physical body, so then we'll not uh, know one another in heaven. A friend, uh, <clears throat> this transition doesn't change your identity at all. No, no. The promise of eternal life necessitates continued identity. I mean, if I'm not me, it won't be a future life. Somebody else may be there, but it won't be me. No, no. The Lord promised eternal life to those who walk with him. Oh, 
then if it's going to be eternal life, I'm going to be me. Right. Well, then my identity continues. That being the case, one of the questions very frequently asked is already answered, isn't it? Will we know one another in heaven? Why, certainly we'll know one another in heaven. I'm going to be me. You're going to be you. Yeah, but now, preacher, you just said you don't know how to describe the spiritual body that will come out of that tomb. Right. But I know it's going to be me. Well, yeah, but how, how's it going to... Friend, your identity is not contingent upon your appearance. Uh, take an 85, 87-year-old gentleman, rather tottery. Hey, he wasn't always that way. He remembers when he was a viral young man willing to put his strength to the test with other young men. Uh, but then he can go back further than that. He remembers a ready-faced youngster of 10, weighed the creek, jump ditches, throw stones, climb the fence and 10 feet of the gate rather than open it. But he doesn't look that way anymore. But his memory won't be denied. He's the same man. The same man. You'll be you. I'm going to be me. Yes, in heaven we will know one another. Isn't it wonderful when you think about it? That you don't have to worry about physical death. No, we're not perfect. But we trust the Lord and we have obeyed the fundamental principles of the gospel. So we're his children. And he loves us. And we are protected by the blood of his son. And when I understand that, then I know more about what Paul's talking about in Philippians 1 verse 21. For me to live is Christ. Consequently, to die is gain. Right? The world thinks to die is the worst thing that can happen. That's the dreaded nemesis of this old world. Going old, coming... Oh, great, great. That's, that's what you're living for. That's what it's all about. This is where you will come into being fully. This will be where the perfection of which you are a part at present will be total. When you put off the old man of sin, made in the image and the likeness of God, friend, you are perfect. Equipped for perfect bliss. We need to look forward to that point in time. Sure, I understand. There are people who depend upon us. There are those whom we love. And I sympathize with people who've lost loved ones. And I can't imagine how it would be, in my case, to lose certain people. I don't. I, I talk to the Lord about it and, and try not to think about it. When it happens, he'll give me strength, or her strength, to endure it. And we'll handle that. But in the overall situation, when I really consider life and its true meaning, that's why she lives. That's why I have lived. I want to be with the Lord in eternity. Flesh and blood can't do that. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. We have to put this thing off. But that happens in physical death. So tonight, you just remember, you don't have to be anxious about physical death. Yes, we make preparation for those we love, do the best we can to provide for their needs, but we're going to leave. And deep down in our hearts, I frequently do the eulogy for faithful people, and I point up that it's a homecoming. It is a time of great rejoicing. Oh, I'm aware of the limited sorrow and the feelings that bind and 
the ties that we have. I'm conscious of that, and I make note of it, but this is why this person lived. This is the door into eternity. He that liveth and believeth on me never die. Just pass into perfection. That's what it's all about. Are you prepared to do that tonight? Are you ready to go and be with the Lord? Now think about it. I understand about humanity, sure. Sure. Like the little boy, you know, heard the preacher and he uh, didn't hold up his hand when the preacher asked, does everyone want to go to heaven? And the preacher asked him why he didn't. He said, well, I thought you were getting up a load to go now. You know, I understand that. Sure, we have duties and responsibilities. I understand, but ultimately, it's coming. And when we live close to the Lord and we understand who we are, then more and more I can appreciate the transition from time into eternity. From the weak into the strong. From the physical into the spiritual. Heaven is perfection. Whatever you do, don't you miss what God has prepared for those who love him. There is a bliss and a joy beyond the comprehension of man. We can live with him in absolute perfection. If you are here and you've never given your life to the Lord in obedience to the basic fundamental principles of the gospel, you will not find a more opportune time. Believing Christ to be the Son of God is the most simple thing in the world. Make up your mind that you want to be like Him. Not going to walk deliberately in sin and error. Then it's no trouble to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Christ is indeed the Son of God, as that Ethiopian eunuch did, Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And to be buried with Him in baptism, as Christ was buried and raised, we are buried and into His death, where his blood was shed, John 19.34. Consequently, we come out with the old body of sin removed, walking in newness of life, with the hope of eternity before us. If you reject it, you're still in the flesh. And you can't stay here very long. So we need to make preparation for passing so that it's simply a passage into an infinitely better place. If you're subject tonight in any way to the Master's invitation, we beg you to come, make your wishes known, while together we stand and sing.